Most people just call it hellfire and brimstone, and they dismiss Christianity altogether because who wants to hear about God's wrath, his anger, and his righteous judgment? We want love. Well, to get to the love, you have to understand why there's wrath. We'll talk about that next. Hi there and welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, continuing our survey of Romans. And we're stuck here in the early goings of the book of Romans, looking at the wrath of God. And today we'll focus on the reason for this wrath and what God has done about it. You see, for those who say it's nothing but hellfire and brimstone, you fail to realize that there is a side B to this coin. You have to look at side A first. So let's take a look at man's rebellion towards God and why his wrath is there to begin with. With this edition of Graceful Truth now, once again, Pastor Steve Converse. We're continuing through the book of Romans and uh, we're on the subject matter of the wrath of God. But let me read our our text. It's going to be uh, Romans chapter 1 and I'll just begin in verse 18 down through uh, 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We just want to look at these first couple verses here. But we've discussed last week, just way of review, we discussed about the, the fact of God's wrath. That God's wrath is a very real thing in the Bible. And uh, it's not just in the Old Testament that we see God's wrath on display. Uh, listen to John the Baptist in the New Testament. He says this, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He will clear his threshing floor and the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Or the Apostle John in his gospel, he says, He who does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God rests upon him. It's not just in the Old Testament that we see the wrath of God on display. In the book of Acts, we see, uh, referring to Paul, it says, as he argued about justice and self-control and future judgment, Felix was alarmed. And as you look through the epistles of Paul, his letters speak of God's wrath. He says, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed for he will render to every man according to his works for those who are factious and do not obey the truth but obey wickedness. There will be wrath and fury. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. On that day when God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Words of the Apostle Paul. He also goes on, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. If you look at the book of Hebrews, you'll find verses in there that speak of wrath. One is, if we sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Hebrews goes on to say, If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. There's other statements. We don't have time to go through them all. But the one in in Revelation says that the wine of God's wrath will be poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, that men will be tormented with fire and sulfur, and the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever, having no rest day or night. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which he will smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepresses of the fury of his wrath. Even Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every way, spoke of wrath, of God's wrath. There's a certainty to it. And we saw that last week, the fact of God's judgment. And today there's people that believe that, well, when you die, you just go in the grave and kind of just go to sleep and there's no, nothing more. That's a lie. That's not true. There's also other people that believe that everyone one day will be saved and so there's no fear of God's wrath and, or judgment because a loving God would never uh, be wrathful or angry toward people or towards sin. He'll just save everybody. Universalism. That's also a lie. Scripture doesn't teach either one of those things. It teaches that men are to be warned of the wrath to come. And it assumes that it's real, because it is. It's very important that I think we understand that God's wrath, God's anger towards sin, toward unrighteousness, toward wickedness, is very real. Just because we live in the day of grace, the age of grace, doesn't change God. It doesn't change his viewpoint. And so that was the fact of God's wrath. We also looked at the focus of God's wrath. It's, it's God's wrath against sin. And then we looked at the foundation of God's wrath. Why is God angry? And we kind of want to pick up from there and continue today. Why is God angry? What are the reasons for God's wrath? And that's what we want to kind of look at today, beginning in our text there in verse 18. The reasons for the wrath of God. It's a proven fact. We've seen it in Scripture. We believe Scripture to be true, so I wouldn't talk about something that is false. Um, God is a God of love. That's one of His attributes. But at the same time, He is a God of intense wrath. His wrath is revealed in the world today and will be experienced in eternity by everyone who leaves this world without a personal relationship, having their sins forgiven through Christ Jesus. And you, you may be sitting there this morning and say, well, why does God even possess wrath as part of his nature? Why couldn't he just leave that part out? And the answer is really found for us in these verses. What are the reasons for God's wrath? Is it just? 
Is it unjust? God tells us in the clearest words possible why his wrath is kindled against the children of this world. And so as we look into this this passage, we basically see first that it speaks of man's rebellion toward God. And we're not going to go into this in depth because we went over it last week in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know, have you ever thought of the nature of man's sin? Man is ungodly by nature, but he's also ungodly by choice. You don't have to teach a little baby to do wrong things. They just normally do it. They just grow up being selfish and they want what they want. And if a brother or sister has something that they want, what do they do? They don't just go over and say, oh, excuse me, may I borrow this? No, they go over and they grab it. And they say, mine. I mean, that's what, what they do. They're little sinners by nature. But they're also by choice. And what that means is that we have no relationship with God. Because... We have no relationship with God. Our relationship with our fellow man is destroyed as well. We don't treat each other the way we should because of sin. And so man is openly rebellious against the very God who created him. And and it's by his own choice. Over in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 12, it says there, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Look at verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How many times have you shared the gospel with someone and they say, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. You know, I often want to say, it doesn't matter what you think. (laughs) Frankly, it doesn't matter. It, It matters what God thinks. And God, because of his holiness, has to judge our sin. And so by nature... We are rebellious toward God. But we also have a suppressing nature within ourselves. And that's what it says there. Another sign of man's rebellion is the fact that he knows the truth about God. He knows it. But he suppresses it. He, he holds it aside. He doesn't want to believe it. That's why they have to create a God in their own image. That's why evolution basically believes there is no God. There's no need for God. How convenient. Why do you think in our modern day society, especially here in the United States, that God basically is taken out of the marketplace? You can't pray in school. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't mention God. You can't, you know, the Air Force Academy recently got all over a cadet who put a scripture on his own private whiteboard outside his room. Big lawsuit. Because they said, that's not right. You shouldn't be able to do that. I'm sure if a Muslim would have put something out there, they wouldn't have said anything. It's just ridiculous. Why? Because they're angry Not at the false God, they're angry at the real God. And so whenever they get the opportunity to suppress the truth, that's just within our nature. And then we also see the stubborn nature of man, that man willfully suppresses the truth of God so that he can continue in his own sins. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us why this is the case. Why are men so stubbornly stuck in their sin? Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 1 to 3. Paul writes this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now he's talking to Christians. And he's saying, At one time you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 says, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And then look at what it says. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There's a stubbornness in mankind that doesn't want to let go of their sin. The reason is is because they're enslaved to their sin. I don't know about you, but that changes my attitude toward people that I run into that are really not nice people. (laughs) Their sin is very evident. They're rude, they're obnoxious, they're egotistical. All they care about is themselves and they'll, they'll run over anybody that gets in the way. I mean, most people don't like people like that. And you can grow very hard against someone like that really quick. Almost praying that God would somehow judge them. And yet, when you understand why they're the way they are, you can't help but have a little bit of compassion on their souls. And it motivates you to share the gospel with them a little more clearly. Praying that hopefully God will take the scales off their eyes and for the first time maybe they'll see the truth of God and they'll be transformed, they'll be saved. And the interesting thing is you also realize that there's nothing you can do about it. We just bring the meal to the table. If they want to eat it, they can eat it. If they don't, they don't. But it's very clear that there's a sin nature a suppressing nature and a stubborn nature to mankind that just loves sin. And man stubbornly holds on to his sins while he seeks at the same time to undermine the truth of God. See, when the Bible calls sin, sin, what does society do? It takes it and it changes the terminology. You know, if you get in trouble sleeping with somebody who's not your spouse, you know, we don't call it adultery. What do we call it? Oh, they had an affair. Sounds so magical. The sin of homosexuality, we don't call it the sin of homosexuality. We call it an alternative lifestyle or being gay. See, we're trying to, as a society, suppress God's truth. So we have to change the true meaning of what God's word says. Kind of sterilize it so it doesn't have that, that conviction anymore. Well, not only do you see man's rebellion toward God here... In, in verse 18, but we also, in verses 19 to 20, see man's revelation of God. Isn't it interesting that God has revealed himself to everyone? It says in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. This isn't a mystery. This isn't 50 questions. See, what is the truth that man is suppressing? What does man want to suppress? He wants to suppress the very revelation of God himself. Because God has a strong desire to reveal himself to his creation. And he has done that over and over and over again. God wants mankind to come to know about him and about his forgiveness. So that they will come to know him personally. But to do this... God manifests himself to man in a million, million ways every day. I mean, all you have to do is walk outside, look around. It's very interesting how you can see how God does this. Look at the place of God's revelation. It says there that God revealed 
himself to them. In one translation, it says in them. It's plain to them because God has shown it to them or he's revealed it in them. See, the idea is that somehow men have all the truth they need to come to know God within themselves. The truth of God is in the heart. It's in the mind of mankind. I remember hearing a story of Helen Keller who was stricken by this disease who left her blind, deaf, and mute. And a lady came to know Helen Keller, Ann Sullivan, and she worked tirelessly to help her, to help her communicate because she was literally closed off from everything. Eventually, Helen learned to communicate through touch, and she even learned to talk. And eventually, this lady, Ann Sullivan, tried to tell Helen Keller about God. And the story says the girl's response was that she already knew about him. (laughs) She just didn't know his name. See, all this teaches us that even without, listen to me, even without a Bible, even without a Bible, Man can come to know about God. Now, that doesn't negate the power of God's word. That doesn't negate the power of the gospel. That doesn't negate the verse that says, how will they hear without a preacher? But God has somehow put something in us that desires to know him. Something in us knows that God exists. He places a revelation of himself within every creature. Unfortunately, those creatures have turned their backs on him and they don't want to hear it they're covering their ears we also see here the power of God's revelation the power of God's revelation lies within his his own creation God has placed his truth all around us beloved look back at Psalm 19 Psalm 19 we know this Psalm well Psalm 19 I want to read the first six verses for us Psalm 19, 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent For the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. When you stop and you think about what God has created, when you stop and you think of how magnificent the world in which we live is, that it's all done by the power of the Almighty God, our Creator. Uh, It's just a marvelous testimony of His desire, His revelation to us. I mean, how can you go to a place like the Grand Canyon and look there and and, and just say, you know, well, I don't believe in God. That's just a hole in the ground and it probably took billions and billions and billions of years and this little creek just kind of made the whole thing happen. In Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it's talking of the prodigal son here. And it says this. He was off living his own life, squalor, doing all this stuff that was displeasing to his father. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here 
with hunger. See, God's revelation of himself is so strong and so clear that every rational creature is bound to acknowledge and worship him. And even though you don't want to hear it and you turn your ears off and you close your eyes and you say, yeah, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk about this anymore, it's there all around you. All you have to do is open your eyes and look. Think of a, a tiny little seed that you take out of a package and you put it in the ground and you put some soil around it and you put water there and eventually it becomes a mighty tree. I mean, you ever think of that? That's just kind of crazy. That's the creation of God. Think that there are giant telescopes that can view objects that are over 4 billion light years away. 4 billion light years away. That's a distance of 25 million septillion miles. I don't know how many miles that is. When you talk to the, the science community today, most scientists now believe that this massive universe came into existence at a specific instant in time. They're kind of looking at evolution almost as out of vogue. They're, they're not really going there anymore because it doesn't make any sense scientifically. Many now suspect they call it higher intelligence had something to do with it. I mean, just think of this fact that at any one given moment in time, there are over 1,800 storms in operation around the world. Weather storms. The energy needed to create and sustain those storms amounts to an incredible figure of 1,300,000,000 horsepower. And I bet you that wouldn't get very good gas mileage if that was your car. 1,300,000,000 horsepower. Stop and think, there are over 10 million species of insects in the world. That's a lot of bugs. I'm not big on bugs. They all have a purpose. God created them. If you're into geography, think of this. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons. And it hangs on nothing. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with precision and careens through space around the sun at a speed of 1,000 miles per minute. In a yearly orbit that is 580 billion miles long. <laughs> when you stop and you look at these facts... These are scientific facts that take place. You have to think that somehow there was somebody who put this stuff together. Scientists say that the head of a comet can be from 10,000 to 1 million miles long. And it travels at a speed of 350 miles per second. When you stop and you think of the sun and its radiated energy... If it could be converted into horsepower, it would be equivalent to 500 million, million, billion horsepower. <laughs> this was something I didn't know. Each second, the sun consumes about 4 million tons of matter. It consumes it. Light from the sun travels, we know, at the speed of light, 186,281 miles per second. At that rate, it would take 125,000 years for light to travel across our galaxy. And the Milky Way is just one galaxy among billions in the universe. Now, when you step back and you look at creation, you look at the human eye, you look at all the nerves and how everything works in your body, uh, God did all that. All this didn't just happen. 
God did all these things to prove his revelation to man that he is real and that he possesses great power. I mean, no wonder the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, right? I mean, all you have to do is look around and come to the conclusion that, yeah, there's a God. There's definitely got to be somebody that put this thing together. That's the power of God's revelation. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.